I fucking hate them, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when the pre-production meeting rolls over to the actual podcast. That's perfect. <laughs> And that... think of, all right, just to add to it, how much editing has he caused you on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> and that young man was Rick Wharton, and I'm Matt Wills, and we are the Discussing Documentaries team. <laughs> Today we are talking about Studio Fifty Four. It's from the year. <laughs> oh, your timing is always very good. Uh, it's from the year two thousand and eighteen. It's directed by Rick uh, Tyranor, and the money it earned is two hundred and twenty-seven thousand and sixty-two dollars. That's pretty low, right? Considering of what we've looked well, at. Well, that's lately. what they declared. <laughs> yeah. Um. And here's the blurb. From the glitz, glamour and endless celebrity guests to scandals and tax troubles, this is an in-depth look, not at my lifestyle a few years ago, but at the New York's most notorious nightclub, Studio 54, which was the epicentre of 70s hedonism, a place that not only redefined nightclub, but also came to symbolise an entire era. So I picked this one, right? And I, this type of documentary is my favourite type of documentary because I was flicking through uh, what to watch a few years ago and my missus just said, can you just pick something? So just out of frustration, I just pressed play on this because the little icon is a, it's a woman covered in glitter with red lipstick, isn't it? So I didn't really know what Studio 54 was and we watched it and it was just, yeah, it's just a little gem of a surprise when you click on stuff like that. You didn't I didn't even know it was a documentary. I'm just like, yeah, all right, that'll do. And here we are. So yeah, lead us in. All right, wait. I just want to clear up before I tell the story that the story I'm about to tell is not involved in me bitching about someone at the beginning. That was uh yes, that's, was. A, that's a discussion. <laughs> no, no. The story I'm about to tell. Oh different. right, all right. Oh, it's a right. different person so, you're gonna bitch about. Now I'm not bitching because oh, okay. uh, the the podcast had quite quite a roller coaster of a weekend for news for us. Uh, I, if, I don't know if you follow us on Twitter, but uh, it turns out we don't follow us <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, if if any of you guys have listened to our class action park episode, Great which episode. was a, a fun one to watch, uh, one of our favorite documentaries, um, Matt sent me a screenshot. We actually got a, a message from the director to inviting us to do uh, an episode of him telling funnier and wild stories that weren't in the documentary. So that was pretty cool from Steve, uh, Seth, Seth Porges. Seth Porges, yeah. Seth Porges, which is great. Yeah, yeah. And then Matt then tells me uh, yesterday that he actually messaged us that a month ago and none of us noticed it. So it's like we ignored <laughs> our only opportunity to get listeners. So if you're listening to this, uh, could you follow us on Twitter and just let us know if we miss one of those things again? Because, uh, God, the Lord giveth and the good Lord taketh away with the same hand, doesn't it? <laughs> we just ignored the, the, the number one. This was our this was our link to Andrew Jarecki. This was our this link was, to Robert Durst. This Durst's. is our foot in the it's, door. It's and weirdly enough, I think I sent the message to Robert Durst and Andrew Jarecki from the Jinx after Seth Porges contacted us. 
<laughs> so that we could have made our lives so much easier. Well, I, I like that we don't take the easy that's what, road. That, that's what was holding Robert Durst back from getting in touch. You know, if, if he knew the class action park guy was on board, he then it would have been a different fucking yeah. story. Yeah. Or if you look, been to Jersey. Or if you looked a bit more like uh, Ryan Gosling, because your great impression of Robert Durst, he might have been a bit more on board. Just saying, you're not pretty enough. Should, is what I'm should we get? <laughs> that's okay. That's what every casting director's ever fucking said to me. Can we get one with two eyebrows, please? <laughs> so this documentary is two documentaries in one, and the first half is for <laughs> me. Both amount to a two point five for me. Little spoiler alert at the top. Well, the first half is all for me, and the second half was all more about Rick's sort of likings. Yeah. Wouldn't say that. So uh, anyway, basically, the, the 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 documentary starts, and it's you look at the inside of a nightclub, and, uh, and then you see the FBI and the IRS and people removing boxes from the place, um, and then he's the one guy just says only two people could have told this story, Steve or I, and you're looking at it going. We're not going to see Steve, are we? <laughs> <That's> just... <laughs> I mean, the good thing is about having no short-term memory. Watching this again, I have no idea what happened. And so it was like, oh, what happened? What happens to that guy? Something's going to happen to that guy, I can tell. But I couldn't remember a bloody thing about it. Yeah? Yeah. I'll probably say the same thing tomorrow, to be honest. This was, this was a bland car journey of a documentary for me. Oh, really? This is one of my favourite yeah, documentaries yeah. of all time. This is up there, man. This is absolutely... I was dancing during this. The soundtrack of this is the best soundtrack of any documentary. I knew documentary. that, because that's all it takes for you, Matt. Yeah. A song that reminds you of when you were fucking younger. And yes. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. Even my missus and my sister-in-law were like, were you dancing upstairs when you were watching that? I was like, I may have been. Who's asking? <laughs> Dancing. <laughs> Do you not like disco? I I like the music. I I like the music. Okay. It's not bad music, but um, yeah, the way like I say, it wasn't terrible. It was a good story to to an an extent. Um, I did wonder how we were going to do it because there's no. This is very different from something we'd normally watch. Oh, you mean something with talking points? Yes, this is why I pick most <laughs> of the documentaries we have to discuss for an hour. This is why I'm vamping about anecdotes about Seth Borges Seth <laughs> fucking up any future future possibilities we have of having a guest of any sort of allure. Not the guy who worked at the DeLorean factory that you thought was a steal. <laughs> this documentary's got everything. It's got sex, drugs, scandal, money. What, what more do you need in a doc? New York in it's the got, 70s. It's got three videos of people dancing and people talking about that stuff happening is what it's got, man. What I liked was the... Um, Here's the thing. I thought Studio 54 was in LA. That's what I always thought. There you go. Every day's a school day, Rick. There yep. you go. That, that was something that I thought, I thought it was like the Viper Room. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I still didn't get a grasp of what makes a, a nightclub cool. There's a certain thing where we become sheep, don't we? And like you've just said, like you know the Viper Room's called, cool, don't you? We don't know why it's called. Cool. Me and you have never been there. I know River Phoenix. A bunch of kids have died outside. It had glittering careers. Yeah. Uh, 
it's weird that we say that makes it cool. <laughs> yeah, no, no, the, you the, said the word cool. I said that's why I know of the Viper Room. It's a death trap if you're a celebrity. Cool. Um. So you've what? got Ian and Steve. They met in Syracuse, just working class guys going to a top American university. <laughs> <laughs> working said, class boys didn't didn't get any sort of help financially from anyone. He said working class, didn't he? He went, yeah, we were working class. Well, more middle class, maybe upper middle class. He just started upgrading himself the minute he yeah. said it. And they're not bad people. I, I want that on record. I, 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 It's when I watch a documentary and go, I could describe to someone what happens in that in half a text message. Let's talk for an hour about it and hope it improves our careers. Oh, God, no, I didn't. Yeah, I, even though I'd seen this before, I didn't have a clue what was going to happen. But just the, the buzz of it. So Ian and Steve are partners. And Steve... He, Ian's a lawyer. Ian's a lawyer. Is that yes, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Ian's the lawyer. Ian's a lawyer. And Steve is trying to open steak restaurants. Yes. He opens yeah. too many and starts to go bust. Yes. So he becomes, Ian becomes his lawyer. Yeah. And then they team up and open up a nightclub. Yeah, and what they said is because Watergate scandal and Vietnam had ended, he said the vibe of the place was that everyone just wanted to have fun. Well, that was, again, that was a big, big, big little hyperbole fucking red flag for me there, Matt, because I hear it's like, yeah, the Vietnam War had ended and we all just wanted to do cocaine, you know, <laughs> fuck, which, which if, but if it wasn't for Vietnam, we wouldn't have, you know? I mean, it was after the Falklands. We all just wanted to do pills and listen to Oasis. No, all right, the two aren't interchangeable. <laughs> You ran a fucking nightclub. You had nothing to do with Vietnam ending. <laughs> no, but they said because it ended, everyone was like, yeah, can we just get loaded now, please? Imagine if I got locked up for the next 10 years and went, yeah, well, it was lockdown and people just wanted to buy pills, you know? <laughs> and it was just that kind of vibe. It was the scene. It was, you know, no, no, you you didn't keep proper financial fucking records. <laughs> you cashed in on misery. My head is in a spin. My feet don't touch the ground. No, no, no. You, you fucking, you didn't pay your taxes. <laughs> well, what I loved about it, I didn't know this. They said um, disco worked its way into gay clubs. That's what they called them in the time, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what they called them, yeah. That's what they called them on the documentary. That was, they were, they were called gay clubs. Um, it came from soul music. It came from the gay, the gay scene, yeah. Um, and they said the gay clubs were all behind closed doors and they were a bit like speakeasies. And they had to, they wanted to create something like that. Just, can you imagine how difficult that must have been to find out about them sort of places? No social media, no nothing. Couldn't advertise or word of mouth. There is little parts of it I like about this. All right. So so in those days, yeah, the the stigmatism for homophobia is uh, it was fucking off the scale compared to modern yes. day. Like uh, not not that the no. fight is by any means over, but back then, uh, like they like were saying, like transgenders were yeah. taking their life in their own hands by going down the fucking street. So um, they wanted to create a place with no judgment, and they what they do is they. Buy uh, an yes. old theatre. These these two working <laughs> class guys up by the up just pulled up their bootstraps and bought a fucking theatre. No We're struggling to get hundred quid together to keep the web page going, and these just, blokes go and find a few million yeah. in finance. Hey, here's some here's something depressing, ladies and gents. You've heard us talk about the Patreon for two fucking months now. Do you know what the problem is? We can't afford the thirty pounds a month to join fucking Patreon right now. All right, and then there's these two. We've just honest graft. And elation that the Vietnam War's nearly over. Can go and buy a theatre in downtown New York. CBS studio. Um, it's where they used to film um, Captain Kangaroo and Don't Tell Me. 
Um, they wanted the best nightclub in the world. And because it was an ex-theatre, it basically had everything already from a lighting point of view and ian was so uh ian was so tight he said i didn't want a lighting guy back then the dj used to do the lights can you imagine carl cox doing that and here's a wicked track coming up hang on just let me get the lights everyone just well, before no, they i drop were the opposite. it they made it a theatrical they, they did the opposite they made it a theatrical thing so they he hired a light he didn't want to pay the well money the no he was because uh, he was him. all about the money wasn't he um yeah, I loved him. His accent was just, it was, it was very, uh, very New Yorkian. To, the, the funny thing about this is this documentary had the worst sound. I don't know if it's my TV, but had the worst sound quality of any documentary because it was just lispy fucking chain smokers. And then you'd have <laughs> disco music blaring over the top of them. The minute they got dull, <laughs> put in some old music so people are fucking happy. Put in some old music. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it was weird because we couldn't get a look at license night fever night fever <laughs> it's just like i love that they, they forget to get a liquor license so they they just forget about it you know when you open up a nightclub what have you forgotten dave oh how do we sell booze so they've got a day license which basically comes back and bites they them on get, the eyes they'll get a yeah. day catering yeah day, a catering license a 24-hour catering license which um but this is where the genius comes, and this is what makes Studio 54, okay? What they did, do you know? Oh, here's an interesting thing about uh, gear bars at the minute. Do you know there is, very soon, there is only going to be gear bars in homophobic areas? Carry on. Right, interesting fact, right? Because due to uh, inclusivity and, you know, society getting better as a whole, particularly in, like, metropolitan cities, uh, there isn't... This, uh, necessarily a need for uh, specifically gay or lesbian bars so they're kind of being like diluted and wiped out in the major cities so if you see a gay bar in a city that means it's because they're not allowed in regular places and they are persecuted and they need a safe space so they are only going to show up in homophobic towns like within the next 10 20 years you're gonna have to say that again very slowly that made no sense well so have all all bars become asexual not just asexual. If people just stop stop being dicks without trying to use the most like uh, the floweriest language I possibly can, since since people are rarely like more rarely persecuted out in the street in particularly right. metropolitan cities because there's a greater mix yeah, of yeah, people yeah. and like a bit of and our society is changing. That these people yeah. aren't the fucking boogeyman. Yeah, so there is less of a need for specific clubs for like stratas of society. So everyone just goes to because everyone can go anywhere. So like, yeah. but in a homophobic area, that's necessary. So you're not getting I, your head stamped you. okay. the local the pennies just, American pennies werewolves just in Par- Paris. Yeah, yeah, that's quite fascinating. So what they, so what they did, in my opinion, right? Because I guess the reason why I don't like them, but I kind of you understood it as like they went along. Wait, hang on. You don't like Ian and Steve? I didn't find them that interesting. But um Oh man, Ian was fascinating. What they did, right? Steve had the greatest smile of anyone we've ever seen on a documentary. And you sit opposite a screen and look at me, and I've got a pretty damn good <sighs> smile. But I'm no Steve. Yeah. Anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> Well they had a um they had a load of talking heads and the first English guy came on. And you could tell he was English 
because compared to everyone else, his teeth were really fucked up. He had the goofy teeth and everything. It's like, oh, England, I'm, you are dentists. I'm, What's when going this pandemic's on? over, I'm going to miss the masks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my eyes get me into places my teeth get me kicked out of. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so what they do, in my opinion, is they open up a gear bar in New York, but don't tell people it's a gear bar. What yes. they do is Genius. they have a very strict fucking entry policy where he stood at the door going, yeah. oh, you didn't shave, you can't come in, not in those shoes, handsome. Yeah. And then it's just, you know, it's celebrities, it's beautiful women, and yes. it's gear guys. And that's all that seems to be allowed in. Yeah, thousands of them. Yeah. But I, at the beginning yeah, yeah. and watching this through, my first initial thought to that was, so you've went and you've poetically described like the no judgment of these bars that you love. That's right. Yeah, and then yeah, your yeah. own job of the place you like is, oh my God, you're not coming in here. No thanks, Mr. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Bushy Beard. But he turns around to an Italian-American guy and says, you need to go home and shave. He's already shaved about 20 minutes ago. You know when you see Homer Simpson yeah, yeah, yeah. shave and then That's the five o'clock like. shadow yeah. comes back like that, right? Um, yeah, this Italian-American's like, no, I've, I've shaved. Look, you can come in, honey, but not you, mister. So it, um, I like the, the the way they appointed the, the doorman. Oh, yeah, the doorman still looks like his job should be saying if you're good looking enough to get into somewhere. It, yeah, because he got the job because he was the best-looking member of the security team. You're on the door. Go on, front of house. And there's and then, there's footage of people being turned away. The bit in his gears one going, I got I, I got in last week. I don't know. I don't know what's happened this week. And <laughs> there's one guy. Why am I not cool this week? One guy with the tash and the receding hairlines going. I, I wish they would give a list of what their their their, their entrance policy was, and and that would change. I goes. I don't think you would. <laughs> I don't think it's a choice. <laughs> Because after their first night, it was so successful. Studio 54 became known as The Spot. It made the front page of the New York Post for all the right reasons. They hired a publicist. Liza Minnelli was a regular. What I like about seeing Liza Minnelli is... I, I, I have no idea why. I, I haven't got... I don't, in fact, I don't think... I've, I think I've got two pictures of my mum. Um, but in my head, my mum is Liza Minnelli. So whenever I see Liza Minnelli on the telly, I'm like, all right, mum. So it's super successful. And they're going through this the whole allure of the club. And it's kind of, it describes, basically, it looks like the first kind of burlesque cabaret. And I don't know if it was the first, because there's a whole historical lineage to that stuff, but they make it a production. So, uh... So the celebrity pictures were incredibly impressive, right? So from Mick Jagger, Divine, Elton John, they had one of they had a picture of Dolly Parton kissing a horse because they would keep up up in the production values and pushing. You know, every single night was going to be different. Andy Warhol was all over the place. He kept popping up everywhere. Truman Capote, a friend of the show, Sylvester Stallone, he just, keeps popping up. Just quickly, so uh, there was two nightclubs in Chesley Street. There was uh, Crocodillo's was the iconic one for years. I was 13 when I first got chucked out of there on, on Christmas Eve. Um, and then nice. and then they opened up a rival one at the top of the street. And this is why uh, everything was just washed with my own, like, you know, 
messed up memory called Studio. And the, I get why you didn't and the like way, this documentary. The way they got there, it's all dropping in. The, the way place. they because it would have been so much funnier if it was about Studio. Um, and <laughs> the way they got people to stop going to crocodillos, right? Is they so the the front street? I, I walked it today from top to bottom. It's six minutes maximum, like at a brisk walk, six minutes. They hired a limo and just took people out of the Crocs queue and dropped them off at studio, and that was enough to turn loyalty. For the, and you go in, and it was exactly the same, exactly the same people. But they started to do things that like big cities do, like hiring D-list celebrities to come and. Brilliant. Uh, Stock ain't going to water it again one, tonight. Yeah, the first one they got was Phil Mitchell. And they refused to open up upstairs. No. So there's two floors to the nightclub. They didn't open up upstairs until Phil Mitchell had done his bit. And it's coming up to like midnight and they've got balloons ready to fucking drop for Phil Mitchell coming out. And it's packed, right? It's too busy. And everyone just wants to see him and then gone about the fucking time. And... They play the EastEnders theme music like he's fucking Hulk Hogan walking to the stage. <laughs> <laughs> and they have and it was, Steve McFadden. Is that his name? Yeah, yeah. I swear to God, he's your height, right? He's he's like five foot four. No. Yeah, I swear to God, like he is stood on beer crates behind the bar at the Queen Vic. There is a guy. There is a nine year old with a camera pointing it up at him at every scene <laughs> you see on EastEnders. And he comes out, and you can already hear the heckling of how short he goes. Where the fuck is he? Where's the rest of them? How small's Grant? Um, and he comes out, and the balloons don't drop. One balloon drops. <laughs> and they had nothing. They, he'd prepared nothing, because he thought he just had to sit there, and they look at him like he's a fucking, you know, a stingray in a fish tank. <laughs> Hang on, and was you there yeah, for this? Definitely. And um, What were you doing there? I was drinking. It was a night. It was the only nightclub in town because Crocodilo's closed down. Oh, oh right. Oh, but so this is where you'd did go you on get a the Thursday or Saturday night. This was the yeah okay. So right. um, not the it place, not the it fucking. Place. <laughs> I don't want to. No, it was the only yeah, place. Yeah, is, is, that's the, the reason you were there. After a yeah, certain okay. time. And uh, I thought you were a secret EastEnders fan there. I thought no. that's why you oh, hooked God, up no. with me. Um, oh, I love them. They're just so. Down to earth. I knew a guy who worked at Marcus so Stoll once. Class. It's like my life. But um, so they ask him questions on the stage in front of all these pissed up Geordies. Wait, Chesley suit folk. Really? Yeah, just so that you go, all right. Um, and he goes, yeah. Should we ask him some questions? We've got some questions for you. And they said, um, who would win in a fight between you and Grant? And he goes, I've got this. And he takes the microphone off him. He goes, well, I've already had Grant and I. And it was just, it was the most beautiful Deathly silence you've ever heard. <laughs> just, just all that. I've already had a mid eye. Poor Steve. Silence. And one guy goes, Shut up, you cunt. <laughs> <laughs> so that wrapped up pretty quick after that. And he stood at the end and people went and met him for a fucking second. And then the last one I'll tell. Because again, do you reckon he still got paid? Oh, God, yeah. 200 quid and as much to drink as he likes is what he told me. Um, Ne- never met TV personalities because oh, nice. it uh, turns out they're just looking for divorced women. It wasn't really interesting what I had to say. Um, but And then one last one, the, the next one they got in was a Big Brother local lass, I think. I think she was local. There's a Big Brother. There was a one, one of the Big Brother lasses that did well on the show. And um, it was one who had a, a relationship throughout the house. And when they're asking her questions on the stage, I went, how about a date? 
And he, she goes, well, what about Ziggy? And that was the fella she was saying. The guy goes, well, I couldn't give a fuck about him. <laughs> and stormed <home. laughs> <laughs> Went home. Anyway, back to Studio 54. Um, we see pictures of Steve Rebell in uh, black and white, and he just looks awesome, right? Really, really awesome. And then we see him being interviewed on camera. He's got cold sores. He's got bags under his eyes. He's in colour and he just looks fucked up, man. Because they're partying every single night. Um, we see young Michael Jackson being interviewed. How young was Michael Jackson in that? I reckon he was about 19, 20 years old. He looks proper young. He looks younger, young and enough he... to f- legally follow his predilections in this documentary. <laughs> um, so, sorry, Steve, you have a child in your fucking manager's room. This is, this is yeah. not okay. Um, there were some great quotes about the freedom that people felt there because he said, listen, there's not many times in your life where you felt free, but in Studio 54... That was the place. And this is where my head starts to turn on it a little bit because, as I said, the, the level of homophobia at the time, it was a completely different narrative. Oh, yeah. And Steve Rebell being a... He could be himself, right? Because he was a homosexual. You couldn't just be an out homosexual then. It wasn't... It wasn't... You know, we've, we've come a long way. We haven't come far enough, as, you, as you've said. But back then, it was fucking prehistoric, right? And then you find out they put um, mattresses in the basement. You think, this is exactly what homophobes think you do. You know that, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, the weird thing is, right, so me and, me and my girlfriend once got back from a wedding and we're hanging out. Now, we're hanging out with, like, one of my oldest mates and it was him and his fella. And we were talking about the number of sexual partners we've had. And I was oh, like, you wouldn't, oh, you wouldn't win seven. that <laughs> No, exactly. I was like, That's seven and my... my my missus was like, I don't know, 10, 12. Um, and then I said, I looked at my mate and I went, well, go on then. He went, yeah, hang on, I'm working it out. And he went, oh, it's about 1,400. And I was like, fuck off it is. And then I said to his partner, like, how many? And he went, two, 3,000. And I was like, there's no fucking way. That just, that means you were shagging every single night for at least 10 years. And he went, well, yeah, I was a dancer in the nightclub heaven. That's exactly what I was doing. He went, it was fucking brilliant. I was like, really? He went, yeah, I was a cage dancer. He goes, you'd have, you'd have sex 7, 10, 15 times a night sometimes. Really? He went, yeah, it's great. Oh, I wanted to be born gay. Does seem right. Catholic Church is wrong. It's not a choice. <laughs> it's. <laughs> there is parallels of you and Grizzly Man, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to be gay. That was the... Yeah, that's the dream. Um, like aspects of and then the songs through. Like I said, these guys oh, exactly went through a bit of a tough time, which is the point of it. Well, yeah, and the, yeah, and it was yeah. I mean, it was a tough, tough time there. But just throughout this documentary, I was so up. I was like, "This is the greatest documentary ever!" And then it's you make me feel, and I'm on the bed and I'm <laughs> dancing, and I'm like, "Rick's gonna hate this." <laughs> Um, I I loved it I loved the vibe of it and did you see the talking head of a guy called Robert DuPont one of the DuPont twins yeah that one that one uh, no they they only nicked the DuPont name they weren't they were nothing to do with DuPont they just thought he'd make them sound cool 
and uh, they hung out with Andy Warhol. So they're like, call us the DuPont. That's like if we just went right. The podcast doesn't get enough attention. We're now the Sutcliffe's. (laughs) 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 It's the McIntyre brothers. Um, But... And if you want to know what we're talking about there, that was episode 11, Team Foxcatcher, of Discussing Documentaries. Uh, Robert DuPont would like to get in touch. We will respond within six months, we promise. (laughs) We are currently having a Twitter ban to help support the I can't believe we get Um, one message from a bloke called Terry and all of a sudden I've got more work to do. But when someone actually gets in touch of importance, we fucking skip it. We've replied to Terry in a heartbeat. (laughs) (laughs) And Terry, God bless him, gives us fucking nothing, right? (laughs) Seth Porges made an actual documentary. I'm sure Terry's a lovely man. Terry's a legend. Um, I'm a big fan of Terry. I'm sure he is. Yeah, just how that one... And Terry got our full attention. does buy is unbelievable. (laughs) Um, Studio 54 was a safe place this, this for was, anyone. For our was... Studio 54 moment was that, was missing that tweet, was them deciding who does the fucking account. <laughs> Rick, this is why we haven't got millions of pounds, mate. We, we're not we're not as switched on to it as we'd like to think. Um, Studio 54 was a safe place for anyone who is considered different by the mainstream, and that was from transsexuals to homosexuals to transvestites to anyone who didn't feel safe in so-called normal society. And then we see people like who are people I have heard of, like Disco Sally, which I think that's a view into my future that was just a little bit too close to the bone. So that was the OAP lawyer, um, like a 65-year-old lawyer who's doing pills and dancing every night. <laughs> she goes straight from the office to Studio 54. Stu- uh, stu- um, Disco Sally pops up in quite a few movies, which is quite nice. And if in the 70s, there was a sweet spot, sweet spot between the invention of the pill to the advent of AIDS. And even if, even if you wasn't sleeping with a new partner every night, you felt like you could... And that's what they said about Studio 54. Sex was in the air and it was just pure freedom. It it just sounded awesome. I just loved the sound of the place. I was properly goosebumps are all over the place. I was pulling on my nipple rings at one stage. I'm like, this is wicked. And then what did I text you? I dropped you a text in capital letters. Let's do this episode on pills and coke. <laughs> I was so up. It got me so hyper. And afterwards, I'm like, no, remember your sobriety. It's really important. The 12 steps. Do the 12 steps. Go through them. If Seth Borges doesn't get back, I'm buying you a drink myself. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> um, it just looked like a great place. It just looked like a fucking I was great getting place. a hangover Steve just looking at it. <laughs> oh, it was just Steve Rebell, he wore this huge coat, right? It was like a massive big parka this. jacket. Right, this is no, this and, uh, is no good behaviour, man. This is not to be commended. He wore a big wait, old parka s- coat and just handed <laughs> quailings to fucking famous people. <laughs> they said he was like Daddy Warbucks. Have pills, everybody. Come on. Um, and the owners were becoming oh, very rich. It, it's just... They wouldn't have missed the tweet, it, it, Rick. They would have been it on it, It was just man. like, just after the Iraq conflict and we all discovered fucking methadrone was takeable. <laughs> we didn't find weapons of mass destruction, so we all started smoking shit tons of weed, is what basically happened, all right? It was a culture in the air. I did methadrone one night, and uh, I queued up in a line to put my coat into the cloakroom of this place. That was a pretty recent drug, that one. And... Uh, 
Yes. And uh, I was basically, I remember I was on my way up like of the high. And my missus was like, are you all right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I danced the carpet basically come alive. And me and the carpet danced for about nine hours. I then said to my missus, I fucking got to go. I'm crashing. I went back to the cloakroom, got my coat. And went back and sat in front of a fire in the caravan for about seven hours, freezing my ass off. And the next day I said to my missus, last night was great. And she went, what are you on about? You didn't even survive the first song. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently I danced for a minute and a half and I went, that's it, I'm done. I thought that was about nine hours. Uh, Yeah, no, I was... uh, yeah, it was awful. Absolutely. What a fucking waste of money that drug was. That was the cheapest drug I'd ever heard of. Yeah, it's called plant food, yeah. isn't it? You had to buy plant food. People claim yeah. it was made in Chesley Street. Some lads that... Oh, really? Hey, listen, a lot of things are claimed in Chesley Street. I made in Chesley Street, all right? <laughs> I wouldn't fucking put much... We still haven't found out whether or not Arnold Schwarzenegger worked out with Cicerone. I was just about to I say. I to this. Yeah. Still no fucking picture of Arnie. No fucking masks either. <laughs> <laughs> Arnie would have been in Studio 54. Um, have you ever seen the Arnie video of him doing the Brazilian corporate that went viral? No. Oh, he did like a Brazilian co- come come to Rio de Janeiro like kind of um, holiday thing for reps and mate. You've never seen someone sexually harassed more on camera than Arnie's co-star. Like it is, I'll send you the link to it afterwards, and I'll put it. It is one of the most funny things. You're like, well, not for me. I don't know if you'd find it, but Arnie doing it on camera, like no one's ever going to see it. And then you hear his allegations later, and you're like, yeah, Arnie did that shit. <laughs> he did. Fuck. He's like, uh, how do you say in Brazilian, blowjob? <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, meathead Schwarzenegger. Have you ever heard of like a meat like like a big muscly guy say chat up lines? You're like, yeah, that's not why you're getting women. <laughs> that's... Oh, man. There's a great story about him. Have you ever read Bill Burr and Joe DeRosa's book, Cheat? Uh, It's superb. It's about people who cheat, and it's just incredibly well-written, very funny. And they rip into Arnie in it. And they're like, this is Arnold Schwarzenegger, governor of Mm. California. Some of the biggest movies in the 80s and 90s, right? Yeah, and he goes, yeah, and he goes and shags his, he goes and shags, just because she was close, he shagged his housekeeper, just because she happened to be in the yeah. house. Oh, yeah. Like this, Simple this as is that. a full 10 minutes of every scene they run. She's like trying to keep it together. She's like a T4-ish sort of presenter, and she's like, come and revitalize our tourism industry. And he's like, okay, we're going to learn how to eat a carrot. And he's like sticking a carrot in and out of a mouth. <laughs> He's like, now do my finger. And like, <laughs> the mouth's just full of this guy's fucking index finger. It is like, oh, and then they mate. go to belly dancers and Arnie Gans and picks her up and grabs her ass and stuff like that. It is. No. Oh, it's shocking. Like, yeah, just type in Arnie Rio de Janeiro. Oh, mate, you're kidding me here. What um, do you think he was an upstanding guy? Uh, I guess I didn't give it enough thought. Yeah. I think that's how they get away with it because people are like me and just like, I didn't really give it much time. I got to be honest. I know how Arnie got away with it. Who's telling that tank what to do? Uh, Sorry, Arnie. um, I know I'm just the grip on this this, uh, (laughs) five-minute thing. We've paid you all the budget to come and do, but uh, your your behavior is problematic. (laughs) You're triggering me, Arnold. He just stands up literally like the fucking Terminator. (laughs) Like, oh, dear. As he was pushing the carrot in, was he doing that? (laughs) 
was his violin player there with him. Duh, 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 duh. How would you say blowjob? He's like, you can ask to go to the library. Da, 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 biblioteca. He goes, <laughs> sorry. Anyway, we'll stop talking about this. I just find that. Um, so the owners become very rich. Uh, Steve could accept his sexuality in Studio 54 for the first time in his life. And Ian was the behind the scenes guy keeping it all going. And Ian cre- created like this unique experience every single night. It was costing them 50 plus grand a night to run the shows there. Yeah, but yeah. and at the time I was like, "Well, that's that's very expensive, isn't it?" And then later on, you see how much the club was pulling in every night, and you're like, "Oh, okay, they were a bit cheap, really, in some respects." Yeah, and the police come in, shut the music down because I haven't got the liquor license. They then, yeah, <laughs> they then get a liquor license. What I liked was the fact that every night, Ian, once the nightclub would close, he would sit there with all the money and then count it out, and he'd divide it into three piles. There was his pile, Steve's pile, and there was um, Jack Douchey, their their uh, their financial backer. Um, and it was, yeah, as he said, right? It was a great quote. It was becoming so much fun that the owners were losing touch with reality. And then we basically, st- then it stops being my my documentary and starts becoming your documentary, yeah, because people with coats come in who have got letters on their back, and that's when you're like. Oh, this is the sad bit. Sorry, I just, I just, you know, when you get a news update on your phone as a message. Oh yeah, what was the news uh, update? <laughs> we are living in hell. Indian doctor says how auction is now the price of gold. Like, no, we had some disco music to skim over that horrific point. <laughs> <laughs> you make me feel. <laughs> Just you strutting around with disco stew hair. It's bad. It's the cool little guy. Um, What I liked is when the liquor authority shut the club down, they came in and turned the lights on and everyone was just horrified to see what a show it was with the lights on and how horrid everyone looked. Oh, God, you look awful with lights. Yeah, the IRS came in on the 14th of December, which only sticks out because that's my birthday and I go... What a terrible day that was. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason the IRS came in, right, is because Steve Rebell in a magazine article said, only the mob does better business than us, but don't tell anyone. Like, mate, you're fucking bragging. And there was the mob connection because Steve's dad yeah. was, um, had mob connections and he was called, what was it, Maxie the... No, Ian's dad. L- yeah, Ian's Louis dad. Louis the Jew yeah. or something he was called. <laughs> I think it was Max the Max Jew. Max the Jew, yeah. my bad. Um, and they found... Um, but basically the reason they went in there was not on the back of the magazine article, apparently. Apparently there was an allegation of massive skimming. From a disgruntled So basically someone grasped them up. Yeah, I was just wondering if Jerry McMillian's Columbo's mum had been in there and grasped them all up. No, that's that's who didn't like wasn't allowed in because of a fucking tash. Yeah, I'm telling on you. They found cash and drugs being after being, watching uh, all the wire there. back to back. I do think they just turned away a police chief and they went, "Let's see if these guys are all legit." Hey, eh? let's just take a <laughs> let's take a walk down there on the 14th and see what they got going on there. Their lawyer, right, was a guy called Roy Cohen. And he was basically, he was a mob lawyer, wasn't he? And he just looked fucking scary. Yeah. 
really scary. He was a Disney lawyer. And like he could have been Yes. Yeah. So And there was just loads of pictures of him basically looking stoned out of his nuts. Yeah, yeah. He, he looks like he's just been doing with Steve Rebell. He's just he's been in the he's been in the big Parker coat too long. And um Sorry, just more horrific news coming through on my phone there. The world really is falling apart. The Prime Minister has just said the person who said that he's, he said that the bodies can pile up in their thousands is just a chatty rat. What a wonderful world we live in. <laughs> <laughs> my head is in a spin. My feet don't touch the ground. <laughs> All right, so... You chatty rat, you. The, IR, the IRS um, come in, and the thing is, in the accounts, they literally had a column for skimming. <laughs> How ballsy is Just that? That is when you're doing too many drugs, all right? They are living the fucking high life and they don't realise the good times are going to end. But like you see, he's in that dumb jacket handing good-looking people queerludes and telling people they can't come yeah. in. Yeah. The, the weird thing is, right, you get a look at their books and you see that column skimming and then you see how much money the club made in, in a night. And it was in the region of $760,000. That's three times more than this documentary made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over the space of three years. I like um, Steve Rebell gets in front of the cameras um, and he, he's been to the Rick Wharton school of questioning because he's like, I don't know anything about any drugs. I don't know anything about any skimming of the books. It was funny because they had the John but, Belushi sketch on SNL, which, again, on Saturday Night that's Life. just how yeah, culturally, yeah. you know, pop culture that was up there in the zeitgeist of the time of that club. Because it was... Yeah. Uh, and then you got John Belushi with coke on his on his face just going, yeah, it's ridiculous. I don't know anything about any drugs. Because people have <laughs> obviously been there as they're literally just doing coke off each other's fucking nipples every five seconds. That good coke as well, right? That, As he said, that would have been key cut coke. Which I'd never heard that expression before, but effectively, that's pure cocaine. They would have got the good shit. The IRS guy they interview, he, he says the same catchphrase for everything. If you're going to skim a lot, don't skim loads. <laughs> and then five minutes later, they come back to him. If you're going to do coke, don't put it in your accountant's books when the FBI come along. <laughs> they had to hire, right, two additional law firms, as well as Rob Cohn. They had over 37 lawyers and not just any lawyers. They had the lawyers from the Watergate scandal and the ones who got Jimmy Hoffa convicted. And that took some doing, right? Working class. If you've seen The Irishman on Netflix. Just just two lads from the street who didn't didn't have two <laughs> pennies to rub together. Their hardworking dad, Louis the Jew or whatever the fuck he was called. Ian had, uh, he goes, I didn't think we were that dodgy. I mean, I had $400,000 in the trunk of my car. Ian, that's, that's, yeah, that's dodgy, mate. And they made Steve's mum the bookkeeper. <laughs> and then they had a code for drugs called party favour. Yeah, just party favour, that guy. Give him a key this, of coke. It'll this be all next right. bit, if you'd got more people from all sides of the story, should have been its own microclosm of a documentary. Right. Because what happens up? So they get twelve counts of indictment, fines up to twenty thousand, and then they even say there's a story breaking tomorrow. I hope there's a Warner ran. These guys really run their businesses over foreign conflicts. These guys, because <laughs> the story yeah. about to break. It's a news cycle. Yeah, the story about to break at the top of the news cycle is the chief of staff of the White House comes and buys coke off them or does coke in the club. 
Yes. And he That's Jimmy Jimmy Carter's chief of yeah, staff. Uh, uh, Ham- uh, what Hamilton was his name? Jordan. Hamilton Jordan. Yeah. Uh, and basically they have just poked the biggest bear with the biggest stick at a time where you yeah. can't really do that shit. So they come down yeah. on him like a ton of fucking bricks. Now, when you are in trouble, right, and you're making accusations about the government employees, you're getting done for tax fraud as well as drugs. There's only one thing to do, All Rick. Right. You've heard what they're making, and they get a £20,000 fine. Yeah, white-collar crime, yeah, right? different world. Fucking lovely. That's what we're going to do. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do with this coffee money, but... <laughs> <laughs> We're skimming, Rick. Don't tell anyone. I had no lawful, um, intentional knowledge of what Matt did with that money. I never um, knowingly spent know, it on FIFA points. <laughs> but when you're when you're on the uppers, right? So when you're in trouble, making ac- the government making accusations about, about you, uh, you're getting down for tax fraud. There is only one thing to do, Rick. And that is to decorate your nightclub. That, that would take your mind off everything. In again. That is such a ballsy this could move. Have been such like class action parks. So they build a moving bridge that goes across the dance floor. Yeah. And they basically say they built a sex pit with rubber on the floor so it was easier to wash. Because <laughs> they could hose off the cum. But that's 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 <laughs> someone who's on too many drugs. Do you know what I mean? You're like, all right, it's 12 count indictment. Does that mean? Uh, right, anyway, I want a place where I can fuck. On a Tuesday night? <laughs> down there. Down there be perfect. Thank you. And they went to... Um, they, they were convinced to plead guilty, which they didn't want to do because if you have to plead guilty, it means you become a felon and therefore you can't get a liquor license. So they'd have to stop being nightclub owners. And that was unacceptable. And you know why, didn't you? Because they're earning 760 grand a night. Yeah. And um... Even if you're spending 50 grand on entertainment... That's still 700 large. Well, one contributes to the other. If it's not that level of entertainment, you don't charge that much, you don't get that much, is the way I kind of see the trade-off in that. Are you saying we've got to up our production values? Is that what you're saying? saying we've got to learn. Do we need a better we, theme we, tune? We, we better stretch <laughs> that 30 quid very fucking well, is what I'm saying. <laughs> but, so, they get found guilty. So get, and he said it made them closer. He goes, whereas some people, it would push them apart. Well, first but off, Stephen this is again... They get found guilty, sentenced to three and a half years, and they have a party the day before they go to jail. Again, white-collar crime. Do you know what I mean? You don't get taken from the old Bailey down to fucking Parkhurst. Yeah. Go home. Send him down. Once he's stopped dancing to Disco Stew's latest track. Go home, see your family, (laughs) kill whatever witnesses you have to. Then just, can you come back? It's Monday morning, good. Can you imagine (laughs) going to jail with a Studio 54 hangover? Bad. But it wasn't just a party. The party that they had at Studio 54 for them going to prison was bigger than their opening night party. Um, It was pure hedonism. Diana Ross did a few songs. Uh, Liza Minnelli, my mum, she sang a few. It was... Andy, it was just a great, great you know, night. I always like whenever you hear Andy Warhol's quotes, like everyone will be famous for fifteen minutes and stuff. I, you think he's like one of these modern day philosophers. Then when you see him, he looks fucking mental. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he made a can of soup famous. So yeah, fair play. So did they share a cell in jail? Yeah, mate. They were they were cellmates. I didn't know you could. I said, come on. They said, can we be in the same cell together? The judge went, 
Oh, you cheeky scabs. You are working class lads who have pulled yourself up from your bootstraps. Go on, boys. Look after would one another. Let, would we not let two working class lads make their own decisions on their <laughs> correctional facility? Come on now. I remember one of the first memes I ever saw before they were called memes. And it was a picture of these two angelic tre- cherubs sitting there. And it said, um, a friend will come and bail you out of jail. But a real friend will be sat next to you saying, damn, we fucked up. And that always stuck in my head. And that's what Steve and Ian were. They were the two cherubs. They were best buddies. They, you know, they were in prison together. And Steve's getting interviewed afterwards once he gets released from prison. He's still got that gorgeous smile on his face. And he's still sort of, yeah. Listen, Jow was really horrible. And you look at him going, can you stop smiling, Steve? Because you don't make it look horrible, mate. You make it look like it was all right. Well, first off in jail, there was a guy who killed someone for ball and ball, so they go and offer him money for protection. Yeah. And then... Um, that's what you do straight away. That's that's what that coffee money is going to pay for, I gang. Know, Thanks for watch, getting in you touch. You 30 Days Inside or Oz. It's just like, I just wouldn't mention that I had money and hoped I didn't get noticed in there. Yeah. As I've said before, I'd be currency in prison, so uh, I'm, I'm not going... You'll never take me alive, there's, copper. There's your, there's Rick's, your, Rick stole the now TV login. I didn't give it to There's him. your vanity again, isn't it? <laughs> yes. I'd be currency. <laughs> you know, I'm a hot property, I am. Yeah, shut the fuck up, man. <laughs> uh, I, I started wondering, how did he kill the person with the bowling ball? Because the obvious way is just going to be round the head. But then I'm thinking, fucking hell, was he... Did he put him there like a 10-pin bowl, a 10-pin, and then just roll the ball towards him until the person died? If he didn't move out of the way, then he deserved it. (laughs) 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 Oh, it's a slinky with razor blades in 12 steps time. (laughs) Um, What I liked was they were still in prison. The club kept going. Well, for a few months, and then they lost the liquor license, and they sold the uh, the club for 5 million. Yeah, yeah. I genuinely, I, I shed a tear at that bit. I was genuinely upset because they said that was the day that Disco died. And then they started, I, I never thought I'd see this in America. I, I remember watching an episode of the Waltons on TV where the townsfolk got all riled up and they started burning books. And John Boy Walton came over and pulled one of the books off. And they were burning them because it was German and it was the First World War. And he said, read the front cover of that. You speak German. And one of the old women translated it. And it was basically they were burning a copy of the Bible. And everyone in Walton Village was just really upset. And this reminded me of that because they were burning disco records like they were Nazis were burning books yeah, at a baseball game. And it, it, what the fuck? What happened to freedom I, of the speech? Idea, well, the right to es- express yourself. I, it's kind of like the stuff your dad likes sucks. Do you know what I mean? And then this, well, as time a- moved on, this was a weird rebellion to we're not into that, we like this. And there's probably a whole cultural shift in a documentary about why what they did like was good, whether it was punk or fucking whatever it was. Whatever music they pretend influenced the fucking culture. Because I like, because again, they, they imply this is a backlash to Studio 54, which again, I think is, 
you know, calling the hype. Hey, that is a reach too Calling the hyperbole police, because I think Steve and Ian are about to drop some names to cut some time off the fucking sentence. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what they do. And again, this FBI guy is like one of the least, I mean, he is no Doug Matthews from McMillions, this FBI guy or the IRS guy, because he says, oh, well, we know they've been in jail for a month or two. So we go to the best Chinese places. And as as IRS guys, we know what the best Chinese places are. <laughs> and, and we get them in the office. And what I did is I just opened the food so they could smell it. And they're like, yeah, we had to get out of jail. Okay, we didn't like dropping the names, but we had to get out. It's like I had nothing to do with the fact you were having sweet and sour chicken balls, Steve. They just wanted time out of jail. It's not... I, I liked what Ian said. So his dad was mobbed up and he said, look, my father wouldn't have been pleased he would have wanted me to to do my time like a man, but I didn't like prison. I th- there was a certain honesty about that. He went, I had to get out. He said, I still worry about it now. I genuinely, you know, and they, it's a, it's horrible being in there. I could not stay in prison for three and a half years. So yes, out of prison. So I told in, Towles. Uh, in 1981, and the world was entirely different. The, the Falklands yeah. conflict hadn't happened yet, so they can't open up a new fucking roller disco. <laughs> Reagan is in power and the vibe is all about earning money um, and Ian said he was disenfranchised right he wasn't allowed to vote he couldn't get a credit card he couldn't get a driving license effectively you stop being a citizen exactly now, that, they cover that in and the wire right in this, in this situation of abject poverty they do what anyone does with no money they begin opening hotels <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why we're wasting our time on this podcast, Rick. We're looking at the wrong avenues to to entertain, I'm telling you. It did take them three years, though, to find the funding. And when they couldn't find the funding... Because, oh, well, you know, they had you to open up a nightclub to prove that they could open up There's, a hotel, yeah. which, again, I don't know why I never thought of that. I mean, they only needed to borrow a cheeky 14 mil. Um, yeah, they opened up the Palladium Club. And... Uh, yeah, it was. It was. They, they start getting on their uppers again, and then sadly, old great smile Steve, he contracted HIV. Well, and then it goes into uh, the time of it, like early eighties time, because they said not just Steve, but like a lot of the bar staff, so many, Every, so everyone. many of like the you know the heart of that community. Yeah, it destroyed the homosexual community. It really did. You know, it really, that just ripped through, and it ripped the heart out of the place. Mm. That was terrifying, right? My best mate from school was gay. And uh, I say he was gay, he's still alive. Um, it was a scary time. It's absolutely terrifying. And when he died in uh, 1989, aged 45, which is, I that's young, right? Um, they put the official word out that it was hepatitis. And septive shock. And when Ian's talking, and uh, what? Septive shock. Sepsis shock, like sepsis. Oh, right, yeah. Is that blood poison? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 wait, a lot of people like because like my mate who passed a leukemia on his death certificate, it'll say he died of um, sepsis because your your body shuts down to the point where that's the final thing. And right, it's within. Okay. It's not that. And it's within the, that grey area and that fact that people will manipulate, like say, the amount of people who die from COVID for different COVID of in, course, in different yeah. ways. So if you think one way, it's they manipulate that way. If they think another way, they manipulate. Yeah. that way but like yeah death certificate it's kind of what's that final fucking straw on the camel's back as opposed to what's the condition yes. you've you've had so that's yes possibly, like yeah, yeah. his lung his livers may have shot down due to hiv positive and having it 
Yeah. And Ian talking about it years later, he's still shaken up by it, right? These were these were best friends. They were so close. Um, and he goes that you know it was t- it was and that was that was I was genuinely I was gutted at this stage. Um, his mum asked, right? Steve's mum asked, why did Steve never get married? She didn't know he was gay. Oh, I just thought she, it was a different time. I just thought she was that enlightened. She didn't realise um, it was legal for him to get married. Maybe. I think you're being a bit sarky there. <laughs> I told him not to wear those um, hats. Women don't like those type of hats. <laughs> um, there's a lovely quote from Ian. He said, look, I'm lucky I had that friendship. Not many people do. That was so emotional. I was just... I'm looking at old cold-hearted Rick here. <laughs> As I'm bearing my soul going, oh, I, I, even I love Steve and I didn't know him. Rick's like, yeah, you know... <laughs> Just because they, they made something of themselves. I don't get what you don't like about this pair. Not that I didn't like them. I don't want that to be that. I'm not just like, yeah, these two people, I ne- at no point, I just, I'm not a big fan of hyperbole, all right, particularly the documentary I have to watch. And I just didn't think, I, I think they string a few things together for um, grandstanding. But their club changed culture. Did it? It was a nightclub. Or did they do coke with Liza Minnelli, Matt? Is there a fucking difference? Like, oh, yeah, we upset the status quo. No, no, no. You did Queerludes of Andy Warhol. There's a fucking difference. (laughs) They would have been one of the people who... They would have been one of the pieces of the puzzle that helped bring mainstream into the... No, sorry. They helped bring disco into the mainstream... That helped. Disco is the one you know, that needed that, that help. Not, not that section of society. <laughs> I would never have heard fucking the Bee Gees if it wasn't for these guys. <laughs> yeah, it's Saturday Night Fever, right? All of that came about probably on the back of Studio 54. And as they said, look, what they created, no one has got close to since. Now there, I'm going to have to agree with you about the hyperbole. Because if you look at the uh, rave culture... Like and Ministry of Sound, which they would probably <laughs> or, say the or same just thing. The next place celebrities went to, and again, I hate. I'm not sounding like shit again. Th- what they did was fucking cool, but they acted like idiots. They got caught, and then they had to rebuild. But since it's from a life of fucking privilege, guess what? He gets to open up 48 fucking hotels after his conviction, and Obama takes away his conviction because oh, everyone makes mistakes apparently. <laughs> 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 Having a great time until I saw our old uh, our podcast nemesis, the Obamas, pop yeah, up. Yeah, just just qu- um, just qualify yeah. that one before we seem like we're on the wrong side of the tip on that one, there, Matt. Oh no! On the day that we started our podcast, Michelle Obama started hers. Slightly convenient, just trying to crush us. That's all I I saw that as. Anyway, she didn't get thirty quid from Nick Graham, so fuck her. Nah, um, a little bit there. We've got to try and play some kind of cool <laughs> about how we're doing there, Matt. Uh, <laughs> she's getting she's getting podcast donations from the sugar industry for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they're cleaning their money. They're like, yeah, <laughs> they didn't get bought a coffee. Um, Ian, he didn't just get into the hotel industry, Rick. He created boutique hotels. Boutique hotels, I, which I, I'm, I mean, I've stayed at a few boutique hotels, but I, I'm not really sure what they are. Are they just a hotel with a different colour scheme? Probably, yeah. I, I didn't really know what... Because um, I had this image of them boutique. standing outside the fucking Premier and going, not with that suitcase, handsome, keep walking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, and then it, it ends, right? And then there's pictures of the, the nightclub and there's young hearts run free. Oh, it's, what a great documentary. Absolutely loved it. And just because I stumbled across it and I didn't know what it was, it was even better. And then watching it again, I just remember how much I loved it the first time. And it was, it's got the great soundtrack. Uh, it's a good little story. What's not to like? I tell you what, Rick, why don't we play the What's Matt's Scores <laughs> Guessing game? Let's play the What's Matt Going to Give This One? <laughs> Let's attach a white-collar crime to as many emotive subjects as we humanly can. Oops, outside your head. Oops, outside your fucking head. All right, I'm giving it a 2.5. Fair enough, I'm giving it a 5. Um yeah, you can't get up at half nine in the morning. You're not very nice when you get up early. You need to stay in bed, young man, until at least half one in the Have afternoon. Have you seen how much I had to complain to make this last an hour? Because I'm a fucking professional with an OCD on keeping to time after 18 years in comedy. Yeah, I'm going right? to cut all that out. <laughs> <laughs> you won't be able to complain, but I've got the buttons. <laughs> No, listen, like, like that. It is an interesting story, but I get there's not a whole heap of cool. Foot. Like, it's just a nightclub. I get it that you were there and you were oh, young when it was it's, happening, it's but great. I wasn't. It is not grandiose enough for me to fucking listen to. There's a lot of entertainment out there. Oh, it's fucking millennials, Jesus. Three hundred seventy-five <laughs> fucking documentaries on Sky Go. <laughs> I could have just listened to two of those songs, got that good film, then watch a decent documentary. That's the difference between us. I grew up with free channels. You grew up with free channels. That's the difference between us. You have all the fucking TV in the world to grow I up with. I got Sky at the age of 21. Don't you fucking talk to me like <laughs> Exactly. This young 33-year-old whippersnapper with was... less hair than I do. <laughs> Anyway, thanks for listening. What What's next, Rick? What's coming up? Yeah, I'll tell you what, I don't know, but I know who's fucking picking it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I don't know either. Um... Oh, you can you can scrub out any of that list I've been sending the past, young man. <laughs> Consider me the IRS and you a nightclub owner who hasn't kept the books. <laughs> <laughs> My mum was doing it. She was Liza Minnelli. Uh Anyway, so depending on where the Newcastle takeover is, the dissident might be. <laughs> it could be the dissident. Yeah. No, nah, they've said the arbitration will finish in the summer. Oh, okay, that's going to be delayed. Sorry, Sarah. Um, but Dale's documentary. Is oh coming no, up. sorry, Dale. One. Sorry, that that's been fucked. I'm not watching a 15 minute guy of a guy playing a kazoo <laughs> in a town you've visited. <laughs> I apologise. I don't need your engagement. You've only seen the first 12 seconds. I don't need your engagement on this Facebook group that much. (laughs) I like it. I liked all this mayhem, but you've took it too far with a 15-minute YouTube documentary. We will do it now, I promise you. You Um, can just call your friend and have a chat. (laughs) That's what you can do. The coffee money won't pay for it. Um, Look, I'm not watching. We're not doing van life, so my dad shuts the fuck up around mine. We're not doing this. I fucking love van life. I love that your dad got me into van life. There's nothing better. Um, right, come again. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Please support the podcast. And uh... <laughs> We're barely hanging on. It's just a blow and... that we missed that message. It's just a real blow that we missed the Seth Forces message. <laughs> Scorsese got in touch about being in this new uh, Aparted movie, he's going to call it. Oh, that came out last year. Ah, shit. <laughs> Next time. We'll get him next time, Rick.
My mate turned around to me when I told him, he went, I can't believe how shit you are on Twitter. You've been doing this in nearly a year. He went, you've sent four tweets. <laughs> and the wicked thing is, that means 25% of the tweets we've sent have reached the director of a documentary who reached out to us. Wait That's a, a pretty fucking good marketing campaign. 50% because the director of Amongst the Mormons also liked one of the tweets. Oh, he did as well. But didn't uh, he? he didn't have much of a following, so could give a fuck about him. <laughs> <laughs> Edit number 267. Well, I guess we get a suspicious package from a squeaky guy here. Yeah. All right. Uh, right. See you later. Say uh, goodbye. Take these books. Oh, my God.